Again, though, Genesis 18, 27, Abraham would say, who am I? I'm just dust and ashes. What we're moving towards in Easter in seven weeks is that one who was made from the dust of the earth was raised from the dead such that a great theologian from Scotland named Rabbi John Duncan said, the dust of the earth now sits in the throne of the universe. We may be dust, but we're dust that's been redeemed and glorified and is precious to God. I want to read Psalm 22. I'm just going to give some highlights of it. And it's a very important psalm. And I'd request you spend some time meditating on this psalm over Lent. It merits some significant time. And I've really benefited from just reflecting on it. There's a lot of allusions and quotes in the New Testament at Jesus' passion, at his cross, as you know, from Psalm 22. It's this gut-wrenching lament. And yet, as so many laments, it doesn't leave us there, but it transitions into confidence and even outright joyful thanksgiving. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are, in, yet you are holy. I tell you what, I want, you notice I have a little outline in the bulletin. And just notice it's divided in two parts, the first being a, the dialogue of despair, and the set, second, the delight of deliverance. And what I want you to see as I read, and you, you can look at the little verses, there's this dialogue going on. Okay, so Martin Lloyd-Jones, years ago, he said, our, our biggest problem is that we listen to ourselves and we don't talk to ourselves. So I want you to imagine yourself when you're not in a good place and how you handle it. And David is in a dreadful place. And Jesus was in a worse place. But how did they handle it? Okay. Well, let me start again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there's none to help. 
Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him, all you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Tremendous. So this psalm goes from terror, utter terror, to, to triumph. And uh, I, want, I want you to imagine that Jesus has the whole context in his mind on the cross. So we know he quotes Psalm 22, 1, the cry of dereliction, Matthew and Mark have it. It's the, it's the low point of the cross. It's the point at which the father turns his face from him because Jesus is made the curse. He's made sin. So the holy God looks at him and sees sin and curse now, the accumulated sin of all his people. The full weight of curse is is carried by him, he becomes it. Like representatively, substitutionally, he becomes that. And so the father must turn his face away, but the separation from God is hell itself. That, that's the absence of anything good, the absence of the light of God's favor, it's hell and the son endures hell signified by the darkness that comes across the land on the cross. Well, David first wrote this about himself. That we know David went through dreadful times. Dr. Davis said it this way, clearly Yahweh's anointed David was hated, hunted, and hammered. And we can read David's history and say, well, there are all kinds of occasions in which David would feel very low and despondent. However, even though David 
could identify, and David is speaking. You know, Acts 2, 30 and 31 calls David a prophet who foresaw and spoke of the coming of Christ and what Christ would have to endure, that God gave David that kind of shadowy sight to say there needs to be another David who's much better than me, a greater David that's able to do what I would have loved to been able to do, but I'm weak and sinful and, and not God. And so there's something about here that is, identifies David's experience, but goes beyond David into the experience of David's greater son. And so in the dialogue of despair, the first part, and again, Jesus has all of it in mind, you go first to what does God forsakenness feel like in the psalmist's experience and in Jesus's experience at the cross? Well, the first two verses, and there's this alternating, as you see in the, the outline between I, me, what I'm dealing with and who you are. And that's the dialogue we all need to practice. So the silence, God is absence. Like I've called out to him and I'm getting nothing. It seems that the, the sky is brass and God has removed his presence from me. It's the, it's the absence of God. Jeremy preached on, in Matthew on, uh, uh, when Jesus called a needy woman essentially a dog. It's, it's similar. Uh, Luther on that passage would say that's deus absconditus, the, the God who hides himself. If ever God hid himself, it was at the low point of the cross when he had to. Utter hiddenness. Like Jesus is reaching for him and can't connect with him. If that could ever happen within the Godhead that a rift occurs, we can also say that you and I sometimes pass through times like that that can be prompted, triggered by a host of things. Sometimes illness does it or some other kind of affliction. Sometimes it's just we've been careless in our walk with the Lord. Or sometimes we're trying to be faithful and God is just by his sovereign goodness in his management of our lives, he withdraws his presence in order to deepen our faith. Jesus endured it to the uttermost at the cross as a, as a penalty, as a punishment, you see. And that will never be the punishment for the child of God because Jesus endured that as a sentence in our behalf. Cecil B. DeMille in 1916 uh, filmed a movie, it was a silent movie called Joan the Woman about Joan of Arc. And in that movie, there was the line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he let the theologians critique it and they all passed on it. But a lady said, no, you have to take those words out. And he goes, do you know who said those words? And she goes, it doesn't matter. God would never forsake anyone. In a way, she's right for those in Christ because he has been forsaken on our behalf. Well, how, does a, how, do you, how do we respond when we feel like God's removed his presence from us? And the next stanza is, you are holy. You are utterly unique. 
and you are faithful to your people. That's, so if we imagine the psalmist treading water and he's about to sink in despondency, when these you stanzas are like life preservers that he grabs onto and he stays afloat. You are holy. He first goes to the holiness of God that you're unique, you're utterly unique, and you're faithful to us throughout our history. Well, then he moves on and says, what's another aspect of forsakenness? Well, another aspect of forsakenness is scorning, being mocked. And you know, Jesus is scorned at the cross. Verses seven and eight come up in Matthew 27 and other passages where people just wag their heads at him and say, you know, you said you were gonna... Uh, destroy this cross or rise from the dead, why don't you come down right now? And they mocked him. And the psalmist David says, I'm just a worm, I'm a nobody. But how does he respond to that? In verses nine through 11, he has another life preserver. He, he grasps on to another truth about God so he doesn't sink in despair. He may have said, I'm a worm and I'm nobody, but in verse nine, he said, yes, but you took me from my mother's womb. Like you were the OB, you were the midwife. You loved me so much, you brought me into this world. I may be a worm, but I'm a worm that you love. I'm precious to you. Then that wonderful phrase, can you imagine Jesus saying, be not far from me for trouble is near and there's none to help. Can you imagine that passing through Jesus' mind? Well then, 12 through 18 is the worst part. What's another aspect of being forsaken? It's silence, it's scorn, but it's also sentencing. And here, the enemies are depicted like beasts. Wild oxen, lions, and scavenging dogs. Um, Oxen to trample you, lions to tear you apart, dogs to target you and there's just beastly attack. You imagine in some parts of the world that have had to deal with these marauding armies or something, how this would come out. But what this is, is not just an illness or some trial, it's an execution, mob style, and it looks a whole lot like Jesus' sentencing. And so Jesus is looking at the Romans and the Jews and thinking Psalm 22, these beastly people coming at him. But then we have in verse 16, you have... They pierce my hands and my feet. That's alluded to at the cross when they pierce him. And then in verse 18, they divided my garments. All the gospel writers speak of them dividing his garments, which is just a humiliating practice. Like you're nothing. I'm just taking whatever scraps you have left over. It's this execution style killing. How does he answer that? Where he goes, in verse 19 is the high point, 19 through 21. And in our Bibles, it says, most of our Bibles would say, you rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen, but really the word is, you answered me. And so that's the counterpart to verse two when it says, God didn't answer me. And so at this utter low point, God steps in and answers him and it changes everything. It turns terror into a testimony of God's faithfulness. The answer of God. And so that moves us in the delight of God's deliverance. Well, verse 23 through 26 talk about this feast and vows made and people eating. 
And he's saying, you, like in the Old Testament, if God stepped in and did some amazing deliverance, you'd go to the temple, you'd kill a calf, you'd invite the poor and the priests and all your family and your friends, and you'd have a party and a feast. And he's saying, that's what we're gonna have, a feast. In, in the place of me being destroyed by people, we're gonna have this celebratory banquet, but it's not just for us, because notice we go beyond David to David's greater son, and it goes in verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember. Like it keeps extending out. Whatever's happening here when God steps in and answers, it's not confined to that period of time, but it mushrooms and has these extensive effects upon the whole world. This billowing, abounding, wide sweeping effects of change and kingdom advance. And so in verse 22, it's quoted in Hebrews 2, when it says, I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. David would have done that in the temple, but in Hebrews, it's Jesus that stands in the midst of you and says, you're my brothers, and I'm gonna tell you the benefits of what I did on your behalf. Like Jesus is our worship leader. What he's talking about here is extended through time and space to encompass you and you're in that feast with him. And he wanted you to be there at the cross. And then the last is, it keeps going wider and wider to verse 27, goes to all the nations, all the families of nation, kingship, this rule that covers the earth because he is the true king who now reigns from heaven and he is bound and determined that all his people come to faith and repentance and are forgiven and made his children. And so as the gospel advances and, it, and terror changes to triumph, you get to verse 31, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, you know, that he has done it. And let me ask you where you think you might have heard a phrase like that before. And that that might have been on Jesus' mind when he made it through that cry of dereliction and he paid it in full and he says, Tetelestai, it is done. There's no more debt outstanding. You will never have to cry the cry of dereliction. Because even if God hides his face, it's only a discipline for a short time. You are secure in the countenance and smile of God for eternity because Jesus has taken the full penalty of your sin on your behalf. Therefore, we can be honest about our weakness and sin and cling again to the finished work of Christ on our behalf. And may that frame our attitude and motives throughout these days heading into the great victory day, which is Easter Sunday. Let's stand.